You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you are challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas continues his series, A Tour Through John. Now looking at Lesson 20. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. Well, welcome back. This is Lesson 20 in our series, A Tour Through John. Uh, you've covered a lot of territory, and we're nearly at the stopping place. Uh, the stopping place will be uh, next week as we look back and choose some verses from memory. Uh, we just finished John 9, the story of the blind man. Uh, in John 10, we have Jesus as the good shepherd, and it also contains a couple of the uh, I am statements, of the seven I am statements. Let's jump right in. Very truly, I tell you, Anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all out his own, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him, because they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they didn't understand what he was saying to them. So we have left the images of light and seeing and blindness, and now we're in a pastoral, idyllic kind of setting. We've got shepherd and sheep. In Israel today, there's still shepherds and sheep, um, typically Bedouin. And he compares the genuine shepherd to the bandit, to the thief, and later to the mercenary. Calling the sheep by name. Now, I wonder, does that mean that every sheep has a name? You know, if he has 100 sheep, does he have a name for everyone? I mean, there's no reason it, it couldn't work that way if that's your profession. I think it may be more likely that each shepherd uses a different call. So when you hear the call of your shepherd then you know, okay, I go this way. I just follow that sound. Uh, does that make sense? Because flocks could end up being commingled, and this would be a way to separate them, just the call of the shepherd. Um, this, of course, makes us wonder, how do we hear God's voice? Is it just the Bible? Well, no, God speaks in various ways, a number of different ways. And um, I'll leave it to you to pursue this in the notes that come with the podcast. Jesus is trying to illustrate, he's trying to connect with the crowd uh, about following the voice of a stranger, and they're not really getting his illustration. Uh, Verse 7, so again, Jesus said to them, very truly, I say to you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep do not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Who are these that Jesus refers to? Everyone who came before me. Certainly he's not talking about legitimate Old Testament prophets. He's not saying Isaiah was a bad guy. He's already said good things about him or Jeremiah, or even John the Baptist. seems more he's referring to the priests of the present hierarchy, that uh, corrupt system being run in the temple by Annas and his uh, son-in-law Caiaphas, by what's going on with the Pharisees. And Jesus has uh, much to say about them in the other Gospels too. It would also have applied 
to false messiahs. If John was written at the end of the first century, we know from the records there were a lot of people who claimed to be the true shepherd, the true messiah. And it could even be pagan saviors or redeemer gods because you had all kinds of Greco-Roman cults. Oh, and how about heretical leaders who had left the church trying to draw members after them? I think it most directly, most obviously applies to the Pharisees, to the leaders in uh, this context. Uh, There are no chapter numbers originally. The sections are all connected. So who is he speaking to? Who's around? Well, it seems the Pharisees are around. And I think that's probably the simplest explanation for who he refers to. Now, he's just said he is the gate, which is actually very similar to John 14, 6, where he says he's the way. No one comes to the Father but through him. He's the way. He's the gate. Um, Enter the narrow door. Stay on the narrow road. Uh, We we read this in uh, Luke 13, in uh, Matthew 7. But these images mm, are somewhat flexible. And so after the very famous verse 10, it's that abundant life passage. He didn't come to kill, steal, destroy, but to bring life abundant. That's something that all Christians should experience. Uh, It just may not be the abundant life in terms of dollar signs that you expect it to be. But the Christian life is rich in so many ways. Um, Let's press on verse 11. So we come to the next I am saying, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand doesn't care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. This is a rich biblical metaphor. There are Psalms where God is compared to shepherd. Certainly Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, is very famous. And this is underscoring the importance of a relationship um, between the shepherd and the sheep. The shepherd provides. Jesus is identifying himself here with the Messiah. Because the son of David, the good shepherd, the divine shepherd of Ezekiel 34, is what he's pointing to. And you can find more in Zechariah 13 and Isaiah 40 and in Psalm 28 and Psalm 80. So you've got to think that those who knew the scriptures when Jesus chose such words uh, wouldn't have been clueless. He's pointing to something with which they are familiar. And we could also remember the shepherd passages of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, which they may have heard before, like Luke 15 and Matthew 18. As Jesus insists, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, of course, I, I, I have a hard time believing that a shepherd would really risk his life for one sheep. I mean, a sheep, let's say a sheep is worth $50. I don't know what it's worth. Um, would a shepherd lay down his life for one sheep? And then now we've got a whole flock without a shepherd. Um, Probably not. And yet it's quite certain that the Lord Jesus put himself at risk for each one of us. So he actually does far more than the um, illustration would suggest. And of course, there's a very similar passage in 1 John 3.16 about putting others first. Um, It could include dying for them, literally, but um, it's an explanation of love. I have other sheep that don't belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. 
For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay down my life of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. Now here, Jesus is referring uh, to those outside the nation of Israel. The good shepherd is going to die for all, not just for the Jews. Now, on the one hand, there are Jews outside of Israel. Probably the majority of Jews lived outside of Israel, places like Egypt, for example, or Syria um, or Italy. But the Gentiles, the Gentiles would come into the church in fulfillment of prophecy, and they would all become one flock. And this is a huge theme. It's a mystery that God has made clear to his apostles and prophets, says Paul in Ephesians 3.5. It's a... um, huge theme that begins and ends. It frames the book of Romans. It's, uh, it was the hot issue of the first century, the relationship of Jews and non-Jews. Well, Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. Uh, he's not saying that he wasn't going to be truly executed. No one will ever kill me. Uh, he's just saying that that wouldn't have happened apart from his will. He was a willing sacrifice. It all comes down to a matter of timing. All comes down to timing. Again, the Jews were divided because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon and is out of his mind. Why listen to him? Others were saying, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Uh, So again, we notice how he polarized. Um, the, The crowds were divided in their reaction. Some say he's insane. Some say he's possessed. And others point out the ill logic of such positions because they can remember that he's just opened the eyes of a blind man in the previous chapter. And that's not a, that's not a thing that a demon would do. 22. At that time, the festival of the dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. Uh, I'm going to read this whole section, but uh, this is Hanukkah. The Feast of Dedication is Hanukkah, which in the uh, intertestamental period was a time when the temple was cleansed and put brought back into service after the idolaters had defiled it. And Hanukkah is such a, a significant uh, Jewish event, but it's not mentioned in the Old Testament anywhere, only here in John 22. So that's something you can share with your Jewish friends. Okay. It was winter. Jesus was walking in the temple, the portico of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I have told you. You don't believe. The words that I, the works that I do in my father's name testify to me, but you don't believe because you don't belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else, and no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. This paragraph is just jam-packed with things. So we've mentioned that the the setting is the Feast of Hanukkah, which is uh, in the winter. Um, uh, December is a time where the the, uh, temperatures are coming down. Rain is becoming somewhat common. Um, you know, Israel, it, it has a rainy season and a dry season. And 
what else can we say? Um, if you want to really get into this, you should take a look at the book of First Maccabees, which is not in the Jewish Old Testament now, uh, but you can take a look at that. I've given you a link to study it. And if you want to learn about the intertestamental period, because a lot of important things happen, say between 400 or 300 BC and the time of Christ, uh, you should really look into that. And I've given you some links. So unlike the uh, Feast of Tabernacles, uh, Sukkot, this one could be celebrated at home. So you had the main, uh, you had Pascha uh, or, or Pesach. You had, uh, that was what we call Easter, Passover. That's in the spring. And a few weeks later, you have Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. And then the third major one is the Feast of Tabernacles, which is in uh, in the autumn. But this is added in um, as, a, as a winter uh, dedication. Jesus is walking under the cover of Solomon's colonnade maybe because that protects him from the rain. Of course, it's not Solomon's colonnade because Solomon's temple had been destroyed by the Babylonians a long time ago, but it's, you know, it's the, the right area, okay? Um, the crowd demands a direct answer from Jesus. Are you the Christ or not? And Jesus says, look, I already told you, you just didn't like what I said. The reason is that they lack faith, and specifically, they aren't part of the flock. You guys aren't insiders. You would have got it. You're outsiders. And unlike these false believers, true believers can rest assured in God's grace. Uh, there's no fear that anything could snatch us away from God. Just as in Romans 8, nothing could separate us from God. Only we ourselves. Jesus never says it's impossible to lose one's salvation. Once saved, always saved is not a correct teaching. Uh, the early church was very clear in dozens and dozens of passages, I'm, not, I'm speaking of after the New Testament time, uh, that they believed in free will, that they understood God's uh, predestination of us to become like Christ is based on his foreknowledge, what we will do. Um, there's no hint of, uh, be, of being the elect in the way um, the Calvinist denominations talk about that. No, there's, there's free will in the New Testament. Okay, James, uh, Jesus doesn't claim to be identical with the Father, in, in 1030, the Father and I are one. I mean, you could read that in different ways, but we need to read it against the, you know, kind of the spread of all the different things that Jesus had to say. Uh, <clears throat> since he's one with the Father, no one can thwart God's purposes. Maybe we could say they're one in will. No one can take the disciples away from Jesus. Where Jesus is equal to God in nature, in rank or order, he's below God the Father. But still, it's a clear claim to divinity. And you can tell that by the reaction of the crowd who want to execute him for blasphemy. And yet Jesus will defend his divinity. Okay, 31. The Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus replied, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these are you going to stone me? The Jews answered, it is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, though only a human being, are making yourself God. Jesus answered, is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. If those to whom the word of God came were called gods and the scripture cannot be annulled, can you say that the one whom the father has sanctified and sent into the world is blaspheming because I said, I am God's son? If I'm not doing the works of my father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. And then they tried to arrest him again, but he escaped from their hands. <laughs> this is a 
busy chapter, a lot going on. In uh, the first verses I just read, he's referring to Psalm 82, where certain prominent Israelites are called gods, not in a divine sense, it's just a different use of that word. And Jesus says, well, he comes directly from the Father and obeys his will. So uh, it would be even more appropriate for him to receive that, that title. Uh, we won't get sidetracked right now. I've given you a link if you want to pursue. Note that Jesus refers to the Psalms as the law. Sometimes in the Bible, the word law refers to the Torah. Uh, other times it refers to the entire Old Testament. So there are people who believe, there are people who were not inclined to believe, but honest minds, Jesus said, should be led by the evidence to acknowledge the divine origin of Christ. Still, this is cool. <laughs> Crowd can't catch him. He eludes them. Uh, maybe because of fancy footwork, uh, maybe he was just a fast runner, but really it's not his time. It's not time yet. Last paragraph. He went away across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing earlier, and he remained there. Many came to him and they were saying, John performed no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. So after this uh, tense encounter in Jerusalem, Jesus returns to the former territory of John the Baptist, where John used to be, where he initially directed his disciples to follow Jesus. So we've kind of come full circle. Uh, the end of chapter 10 ties in with the middle of chapter 1. And he is positively received by those acquainted with John's ministry because John was preparing the way for the Christ. Jesus was not sheep stealing. Okay, That's not what's happening from the Baptist. The Baptist was saying, no, when you graduate from my movement, you join this guy. And John's former followers admit, interesting, that John had never performed a miracle. Such a powerful man. And yet, according to Luke 1.15, and I'm not quite sure how to understand this verse, it says that the baby John uh, was spirit-filled from birth. Never did a miracle, which, uh, you know, um, earlier this month when I was teaching in Cuba, I made that point. Uh, everyone thinks that if you're spirit-filled, you would do signs and wonders. But John 10.41 um, really uh, refutes that. It rebuts that totally. Being spirit-filled is about our characters, about the kind of people we are and how much we are resembling Christ. Anyway, many are coming to faith in Christ, uh, even though there's tension and, and um, there's a lot of action here, the program is moving forward. Now, in the next chapter, which is chapter 11, we're going to read of one of Jesus's most dramatic signs, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And with that, we will have looked at the seven signs in John. And you know what? I, I think I said the wrong thing before. We are going to look at some memory scriptures, but it's after the chapter 11. Uh, we'll have a shorter podcast. I've chosen, um, I think, 12 passages in the first 11 chapters, and I'm going to memorize them, and I want to invite you to join me. Uh, it won't be too hard. So some things to think about. Um, am I recognizing the voice of our shepherd? If so, how well do I know his word? Am I experiencing life to the full, the abundant life, something missing? And if I'm a leader, why do I lead? Am I the wolf? I mean the wolf. Am I the hired hand who runs away when the wolf comes? Or am I, do I care? If I'm a staff member, do I have the heart of a true shepherd or the heart of a mercenary? And do I appreciate the grace of God? Do I understand that no external power can force me to leave God? The only one who can sabotage my salvation is me. God 
has made us that secure in his love. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the gospel of John. It's exciting. It's meaty. We thank you for chapter 10. Thank you for uh, so many important things going on. Help us to be more and more experienced in this chapter, in this gospel, with each chapter that we study. Today, we ask you to be with us. Make us aware of you. Help us to discern your voice. Help us to learn what that even means. We pray in your son. Amen. We hope you enjoyed Douglas's teaching on a tour through John. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas's website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas's teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.